This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, closer to closer to Christmas. And I'll tell you, in New York, crime might be high, but so is, uh, I think, Christmas spirit is kind of back here in New York City. It is packed. Uh, I'll tell you that. Uh, people come by the tree. I'm sure it's reflected in businesses. Even if you walk into Penn Station, which has been beat up and supposedly being refurbished for about seven years, you even see some improvements there. Ronna McDaniel is standing by. She'll talk about improvements in the Republican Party and why she wants to remain at the top spot of the RNC. So, and then bottom of the hour, Rachel Campos stuff will join me in studio. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It came together pretty quickly over a matter of days, with it only being finalized this past Sunday. Did Zelensky agree to come to Washington with a real element of risk here? He needs to be able to safely get out of Ukraine and then get back into his home country afterward. And evidently this video of him getting on a train to Poland and I guess fly from there. He's here. President Zelensky arrives in Washington, will address a joint session of Congress today. The address likely will be emotional and motivating as the Ukrainian president will leave with Patriot missiles and fighter jets, along with billions of many Republicans are not happy. I am. Number two. When you have a bill this large and uh, atrocious, it allows for people on Capitol Hill not to be held accountable for the votes that they take. It allows them to throw up their hands and say, well, we didn't want a government shutdown, especially before Christmas, and we were just going to move on. Yeah, there we go. Kath, uh, Katie Pavlich, there is no way to fund a country. Another secret. Uh, this is no way to fund a country. Another top secret $2 trillion omnibus boondoggle is about to pass in lieu of a legit budget. I have the details, an alternative path led by the GOP. Number one. This is an untenable situation. I can tell you as a native Arizonan who was born and raised near the border, the border is not secure and it has never been secure in my lifetime. A lot better than it, was, than it is now, believe me. Broken border, delayed Title 42, makes shift. Uh, makeshift barriers, drug flows, illegal stream, and so far Biden gets a pass? I sense not for long as Dems begin, as you just heard, to demand he address a problem that he created. Let's bring in Ronna McDaniel, RNC chairperson. Uh, Ronna, we're still waiting to find a speaker, but the House is in Republican hands. The Senate is not. But in the lame duck session, they are looking to pass a $1.7 trillion omnibus deal that nobody has read. Yeah, it's it's egregious. I think it's important to understand that many of the senators and Congress people are saying they haven't read this. As you're looking at the fine print, there are definitely uh, pork in there, things that are not necessary, like uh, trails being named after Michelle Obama and buildings being named after Nancy Pelosi. 
And as taxpayers are struggling right now, as our economy is faltering, it's unfortunate to see our government continue to spend recklessly. So uh, looking right now, what they say right now is, I guess, Speaker would be Kevin McCarthy, we hope, I hope anyway, uh, become Speaker. He says no Republicans should vote for this. And Mitt Romney came back, who you're familiar with, your uncle, came back and says, well, that's just silly. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with you that Kevin should be speaker. We we just won the House because of Kevin McCarthy's work, because of candidates that he recruited, funded, and got across the finish line, not just in 2022, but 2020. Nobody's done more to take back the House than Kevin. Uh, and I and I agree. I think a lot of Republicans right now are saying, why, why aren't we letting this wait? Why didn't we just pass a, a smaller measure that allowed the House to be taken over by Republicans, which the voters wanted? and then have that negotiation. And that would have worked, uh, but, and McCarthy says here, in fact, here he is yesterday uh, about what we're about to pass, cut 13. I don't want it to pass. I've been on your show saying that. And not only did I agree with that tweet, I said, I'm going to be the speaker. I won't bring the bill up so you don't have to worry about whipping it. We're two weeks away, 14 days away, for having a stronger hand in negotiations. Watch what we were able to do in the NDAA, remove the mandated vaccine for our men and women. They're increasing just the baseline $134 billion. That's $1.5 trillion over the next 10 years us taxpayers will have to pay. They're adding $410 million for border security. But none of it in America. You know where it's at? In five Middle Eastern countries. That's where they're sending our hard-earned taxpayer money. Why don't we think, instead of adding more money, we could eliminate waste and wokeism? We would have a stronger hand. So uh, Mitch McConnell feels differently. He breaks from McCarthy. He says it's set back and say the real needs of the country right now. Uh, the Defense Department needs to be funded. So there's a big difference in the Republican Party. You preside over, you're in the middle of all this. You're against McConnell in this situation? I'm against the Democrats. I mean, let's remember, this is the Democrats pushing this. This is Biden. The Democrats control the Senate. Uh, certainly, I have disagreements about the way this is being done. I think I'm, I'm from the voter standpoint, they just gave us the House. They, they fired Nancy Pelosi. They said they wanted Republicans in control. And I agree with Kevin. We should wait two weeks, let Republicans take control of the House, and then have this argument. So, Rana, do you still want to head this, uh, the RNC, the Republican National Committee? I do, Brian. I'm going to tell you why. The RNC has done things in the past two years that we've never really done that we needed to get done. Obviously, the first four years were kind of an extension of the White House. But the engagement with black, Hispanic, and Asian voters uh, provided huge gains in this election. The voter registration efforts we had in Florida, North Carolina, and Iowa created red waves in those states. And I also know heading into a presidential, the transition of, of switching leadership and the breaks being put on the efforts that we're putting forward would put us in a vulnerable position. And we will take back the Senate and we will take back the presidency, but not if the RNC isn't doing the things that we're, we did to make us successful to take back the House in 2020. So Harmie Dillon, well-known to our listeners and viewers, uh, a very successful attorney, says she, she, there's time for new leadership is needed. And she wants uh, she's going to uh, run against you. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, she is a good attorney, but she's never run a state party. She's never run a campaign. And if you look at what the RNC did in this election, the things that we control, Brian, we don't pick the candidates. We have to stay neutral in primaries. We don't pick the messaging the candidates choose. But if you look at the ground game, 
3 million more Republicans turned out than Democrats. We would have won the electoral vote if we had that same turnout. In every single battleground state, a Republican won statewide. So why does that happen? That means the turnout operation worked. And in Georgia, for example, eight out of nine statewide races were won by Republicans by larger margins for Brian Kemp than in 2018. So it's working, and we can't stop that infrastructure. What I say is the RNC builds the stadium the stadium for the participants to compete in and the stadium needs to stay strong and i know that we've Mm. built a very strong infrastructure and we need that to be successful in 2024 why don't you think you took the senate or why why did you actually lose a seat overall i think the Uh, early reports say it was messaging on roe v wade i think dobbs was a huge factor and if you look at Pennsylvania. The top of the ticket there had no exceptions for life of the mother, and I think that carried into the Senate race and other races in the state. Same with Michigan. We have to look at messaging. You know, I said this on Fox, and the RNC put out a memo. If they're spending $30 million against you on abortion and you don't answer it, if you don't have an answer and you say, oh, I'm just going to talk about the economy, that doesn't work for the voters. And we can't ignore that again. We can't allow them to spend $30 million lying about us and think that it doesn't become the truth when we don't respond. And that's what our candidates have to do. The RNC was very vocal on this throughout the cycle. I put a memo out. I said it on TV. But different consultants said, no, let's stick our head in the stand and ignore this issue. And a lot of their candidates lost as a result. So in other words, to know yeah. that this will be an issue in 2024. So, uh, and by the way, it should be noted that uh, Todd Ricketts, Ray Washburn, Ron Weiser wrote to the 168 RNC members to express their support for you uh, to keep the job. Uh, they highlight your relationship with RNC donors and efforts during the last six years to build a fundraising infrastructure. But a lot of people say that, you know, this should have been a red wave and you believe that it was about abortion. Jonathan Lemire on another network said that this is what they're finding in the post midterm results. Cut 26. When it comes to this year's midterm elections, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade played a significant role in motivating key voting blocks. According to Politico, in the months ahead of the election, campaign strategists kept making the same startling finding that abortion hadn't awakened only Democratic voters It was also actually persuading swing voters. The report found that in many battleground and red-leaning states and districts, especially where Democrats spent millions to keep the issue at the forefront for voters, abortion access played an outsized role, reversing the party's once abysmal outlook. We know they faced historical headwinds going into the midterms and did stunningly well. So that issue is not going away. And besides addressing it, a lot of people are happy. Pro-lifers are happy with this, but the majority of the country is not pro-life. So how do you authentically message it? I think you have to recognize in a post-Dobbs world, we, I'm proud to be pro-life, but we have to understand consensus is where the voters are. And this is the memo the RNC put out in the summer that they want exceptions with limitations. The Democrats are extreme on this issue with due date abortions and gender selection abortions. And we can't ignore it and pretend that it's going to go away. The Democrats spent millions and millions on it. That's why I put a memo out in the summer. I went on Fox News. I said, you can't ignore it because I'm a woman from the suburbs and I get it. And I was dealing with a lot of young male consultants in some of these campaigns. And they said, huh, we're not going to listen to you. And I'm telling you right now, if the Republican Party and these consultants continue to ignore the women who thought this was an issue, who knew this was an issue, like myself, like my sisters, like my friends and my neighbors, 
they're, we're going to lose again in 2024. And that's part of the reason I want to run again, because it's time that we start listening to suburban women and actually understanding these issues. And I happen, happen to have that voice and understand that. So if you, but you're not, you're still not going to get involved in picking candidates though, right? We can't. It's part of our bylaws, Brian. People don't understand this about the RNC. We can't get involved in right. primaries. Legally, we can't. Um, we focus on the general. We we choose, We support the, who the voters choose. Um, and that's a big part of the Senate races. And I'll say this. We had a freshman class of people running for Senate. Great candidates. I'm not going to bash them. But they never run for office ever before in their lives. So they didn't have a fundraising infrastructure. They didn't have a grassroots infrastructure. I liken it to sending somebody to war without ever going to boot camp. And many of the races we needed to pick up were held by well-funded, well-oiled Democrat incumbent machines. The Senate map is the opposite in 2024. We have 21 Dem seats up. We have opportunities to pick up seats in Ohio, West Virginia, Montana. We can do that. This was always a tough Senate map. I think expectations were set way too high. And we need to be proud of the fact that we just picked up the House. We kept every incumbent statewide uh, Senate and governor. And we also flipped a governorship in Nevada, which is critical. So um, so you're going to run again. It seems like the money's behind you. At Turning Point, the young conservatives, they did a straw poll. They picked uh, Harmeet Dillon to replace you. Uh, and in the Fox yes, News. Turning Digi- Point endorsed her. They had her out. I mean, oh, okay. this is not a Harmeet Dillon race. This is Turning Point and Harmeet Dillon. And I just am going to say something about Turning Point. You know, they do great conferences. How many young voters did they register? How many youth voters turned out this cycle? How about the college kids in Arizona where they're headquartered? You know, if you're going to hold the RNC accountable, start looking at these outside organizations that don't disclose their finances and ask them what they did. And this is a group that's taken over the youth vote. They've taken over college campuses, and they need to be held accountable. But this is Turning Point and Harmeet trying to take over the RNC. Okay. Uh for you personally, I always thought you were going to be a candidate eventually. Is that still – is that a goal of yours? Um, I don't know. Maybe in the offing I'm going to look at it. But i got to tell you, I'm really passionate about defending our work and what the RNC's done. We got out of the commission on presidential debates. We've registered more voters. We flipped it in Florida. That's part of the reason we had big gains there. I'm really pl- proud of our community centers and our outreach to Hispanic voters that made differences a difference in Juan Siscomani and Monica de la Cruz's race. I'm passionate about this, and I think the RNC made this election better than it could have been otherwise. And I'm also going to be a voice for abortion and, and speaking about our pro-life uh, stances, but we've got to get that messaging right heading into 2024. Understood. Uh, are you? Does it tick you off that people are challenging your leadership? Because I don't remember that happening before. Uh, it, it, I don't like the misinformation, Brian. I don't like lies being used to create um, disinformation. I don't like the vitriol. You know, this hate on hate of Republicans is a huge problem in our party, and I'm going to focus on the 11th commandment. Uh, If you look at Arizona, the top vote-getter there was a Republican, uh, Kimberly Yee, and a lot of Republicans chose not to vote for other Republicans on the ticket because of vitriol. And if we continue to hate each other so much that we lose sight of the Democrats, that's a losing recipe, and I'm going to focus on bringing our party together instead of tearing it apart. What about Carrie Lake's approach for uh, one, two, uh, on two uh, areas of our 10 count, on two counts, to take a look at Maricopa County? Do you guys support that? You know, we're, we're in a lawsuit with Abe Hamada, the AG candidate. We think there were problems with the tabulators on Election Day. There's no question, and that does need to be pursued. Um, and you shouldn't have that many tabulators go down on Election Day. But 
We also need to understand that uh, we need to vote early. We need to vote absentee. And there's been a lot of people in our, in our ecosystem saying only vote on Election Day. We can't do that. The RNC has been a voice against that. We spent a lot of money to get vote to people to vote absentee and early, but from now on, we we can't count on our entire vote coming out on election day. You know, it's interesting. You know who agrees with you? According to an interview we gave another outlet, uh, President Trump. Yeah, he now absolutely. says they do have to do a better job in early voting. So there's probably not going to be that resentment or pushback this time. It's uh, uh, adjust to the rules. Uh, Ronda McDaniel, always always nice talking to you. Best of luck. Thanks, Brian. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back and take your calls. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Rachel Campos, stuff at the bottom of the hour. Again, President Zelensky is in this country, about to, he's going to at some point address a joint session of Congress. We'll follow that story as well as about we're about to spend $1.7 trillion and nobody can tell you on what. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. one 408 7669 Rich Campos, Tuffield, Johnson Studio. And we'll find out what else is going on. Tony's in Pennsylvania. Hey, Tony. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. I know there's a lot of people that want to talk. I want to preface this by saying that uh, you're a strong, conservative voice. I really appreciate it. You really stand up for tough issues. However, I think that sometimes you, you cut everything short, uh, especially with Rhonda, Mc, Rhonda McDaniels. She, why wasn't she asked, why isn't she down in Arizona fighting for Kerry Lake? There was obvious, there was, everyone sees it. There was obvious uh, um, stuff going on there. You, you think, think so? Uh, Katie, Hobbs, Katie Hobbs would not recruit herself for watching over an election that she was running from. And uh, Rona McDaniel needs to have her hand to the fire. Well, and, well, if you if you feel as though she's not the right leadership, what do you expect her to do in Arizona? It's in a court's. It's in a judge's hands. A judge is not going to say, "Wow, that uh, Rona McDaniel's here." I think uh, I'm I'm going to put a rule for in her favor on ten counts. Instead, it's on two counts. But still, Rona McDaniel providing support. And if it's money, that's one thing. But right now, it's up to the lawyers to show that those machines or the printers or whatever they're claiming were not effective, did not work. You heard what she said. But from Pennsylvania, Tony, I don't think you know for sure. And the thing is, if she was there to maybe learn more, maybe aggressive on the machines, maybe that could be it. But I think that Carrie Lake has got a pretty good team around her. She definitely speaks her mind. 
and we'll find out. The judge ruled in one way. But if they said the biggest rally wins the court case, I would say she should have done something. But those aren't the rules. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We expect that the crisis will exacerbate to, I mean, to be honest, unimaginable levels. And so we're really focusing on helping our colleagues across the country understand that this is an untenable situation. I can tell you as a native Arizonan who was born and raised near the border, the border is not secure and it has never been secure in my lifetime. Right. But it was a lot more secure with the previous administration. Anybody who's being honest would tell you that. That is Senator uh, uh, Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. With me right now, Rachel Campbell-Stuffy, because, listen, I had somebody else booked, but she would not leave. She insisted on talking more with me <laughs> after how many hours? Six, yeah, nine, yeah. 12, we've, we've, 12 hours. You've had 12 hours. And then you together. had eight hours over the weekend. That's right. Right. And you were going to start your weekend, but you gave us... No, I said more. I'm not. Re- I'm not going to start my holiday without spending a little more time with Brian. Right, and you've actually never said that, but for saying that to my audience, the thing <laughs> about I find out about uh, Rachel: do not say anything in the break that you do not want to oh, say on I'm the air. A bad reputation. It's oh. true. I do sometimes repeat what you say to, uh, uh, on on the commercial break on air, and you don't like that. I'm a little surprised by it. No, it's not that I just like. I, I think everything goes once that once that start, starts at six oh one. Everything goes. Did you know that last year for New Year's, uh, Pete Hegseth said his New Year's resolution was to say everything he was saying in the commercial break on air. That was his New Year's resolution. And and so I decided to bring you into ah, that. Ah, yeah, it was never mine. Yeah, that's the difference. So Senator Kirsten Sinema talked to Fox News Digital and said that the she's border not was being never- honest, Brian. She is not being honest. The border was a lot as, better, as secure as it's ever been in forty years under Donald Trump. So she's being dishonest. She has to play that game, right? Because she's a Democrat, an independent Democrat, but still, she's in Arizona. There's a lot of pro- I'm from Arizona originally, as you know. People care about what's going on at the border, so she's trying to go. Oh, it's. You know, we don't know why the border is not secure, yet we know exactly why, because you reversed Trump policies. That's why we're in this situation. Right. And you have, uh, where's Senator Mark Kelly, who went down to the border for to get elected, where he's invisible. Yeah. And I feel bad because it's going to end up taking out those uh, storage lockers, those storage cases, which are yeah. a makeshift wall, because Governor Ducey is, is the Republican, and he's in comes gone. Katie Hobbs. Yeah. And you think she's going to abide by what the federal government wants and pull those off the border? I, you know Arizonans. I know, listen, I think that Katie Hobbs is not only a radical liberal, she's probably the most uh, incompetent and, can I just say, dumb governor she that has ever— She was a terrible campaigner. It was un, no, no, she is dumb. She is absolutely dumb. And so the problems for Arizona are just going to get worse under that under her leadership. So today we see uh, all types of action taking place. The Biden administration all of a sudden says, you know what? If you want to extend Title 42 past uh, the holidays, we'll do it. We know now the, the Humvees along the border with razor wire being set up. We know the Texas National Guard is erecting uh, that fence and they're using actually vehicles parked there. And now they're using some of those storage containers that Arizona was using. And I'm saying to myself, now you got 20,000 National Guard. Why? What was it? The, what million really alerted them to take massive action? Well, I remember going down to the border this summer, Brian, and I saw the National Guard, our National Guard on one side of the Rio, uh, the uh, Rio Grande, 
And on the other side, I saw the Mexican police. And as both of those law enforcement agencies were on either side, people were crossing. They were doing nothing. So there was National Guard there, but they are not allowed to stop people from right. crossing over the river. So here's the people a- in charge are the cartels, Brian. The, the, the border is run by the cartels. Because we're allowing that. And now the next month, the president's going to sit down there with uh, the president of Canada and the and the and President Labrador, uh, Arbador of Mexico. First thing he's going to talk about climate, sickening. How sickening climate is change. that? Climate change and equity, by the way. Right, uh, with a socialist leader who the president, President Trump, got along with great. I don't know how he did it, but they were best friends. Yet the president was the one who threatened him with tariffs. The president was the one who said. Put uh, Marines at your southern border or we're not going to have any trade relations at all. And he did all that. So what is the plan? John Kirby was asked in his virtual gaggle yesterday. Cut eight. What exactly is going to be in place when Title 42 is lifted? Is Are we receiving that today from anyone? Uh, Jackie, I'd have to refer you to DHS uh, on this. Um, I, I, that, that, would be my, that would be my best advice to you. Why um, why wouldn't we be hearing from NSC on it, though? Because isn't there a national security component to this? Uh, of course, there's a national security component to border security. We've never shied away from that. But this is appropriately a, a DHS issue to speak to. You feel better now? You know, Brian, you brought up such a good point on the show today when you pointed out that in that omnibus bill, they actually put in language to say of all the gazillions of dollars that we're spraying out, right, that we're going to spend, that you cannot use any of it, the Democrats put in that bill, to secure the wall. I mean, that just, I mean, right there you know exactly what's going on. The reason why Kirby says can't tell you the plan because this is the plan. The plan is open the border. Um, the plan is to change this population, um, and and the plan is no borders because this all of these policies are being run by NGOs who believe in this George Soros, you know, open borders society, and that's what we have. So this is what the bill says: one point five six billion to Customs and Border Patrol for border management requirements, three hundred thirty nine million to immigration and to ICE. For for non detention border management requirements, non detention. So that kind of build. So translating service. that, that means processing. Yep, funds that are funds are prohibited from being used to acquire, maintain, or extend border security technology and capabilities, unless therefore improving processing. Right. So it's why would any Republican? Why would any Republican sign off on that? There's so basically, I'm going to translate that. That means we. No money can be used to secure the border. All the money is just so we can process all of these massive amounts of illegals who are coming here more quickly so that the media doesn't talk about it and they just go and disperse throughout the country. Do you remember yesterday we had Will Kane on the show and Will had such a great analogy. He said, if your bathtub is overflowing, the first thing you do is you turn off the faucet. Then you can mop. But what they want to do is mop and keep the faucet going. So you just have more and more, more water, more and more illegal immigrants, and they just move them on via, with, your, with your tax dollars. So, yeah. So, and by the way, $65 million for necessary expenses associated with the restoration of Pacific salmon population. Yeah, oh. they're also, they're, by the way, that omnibus bill has $3 million for a hiking trail for uh, named after Michelle Obama, as if the Obamas don't have $3 million to get, make their own trail. Uh, one, yeah, it goes, the spending bill will ask for $3.6 million oh. for a project called the, the Michelle Obama Trail. It'll be a path trail project in Georgia. 
unbelievable. I mean, right. you know, I, I remember there was a time when they got rid of all of the earmarks, earmarks. and then they brought them back. John McCain cut a deal with President Bush to help him out on something. He goes, in turn, support my earmarks legislation. And they did, and they passed it. And now the Democrats brought it back, and the Republicans are leaving it, it seems. Larry Kudlow looked at this omnibus bill. By the way, it's impossible to read. You'd, there's nobody that read it at all. Yeah, there's a picture of Rand Paul, and he's standing next to this giant— jo- I mean, Two and it, a half feet tall. Yeah, so. it's unbelievable. Here is Larry Kudlow, cut 15. There's a $100 billion corporate tax hike in this bill which is insane, and no Republican should support it. There's also an IRA tax hike coming down the road. We've already had a 15% minimum corporate tax hike in the fraudulently named Inflation Reduction Act bill and a 1% tax on corporate buybacks, which is stupid. And Janet Yellen is in cahoots with the Europeans to slap a 15% minimum tax on American companies operating abroad. Also very stupid. Immediate bonus depreciation drops off by 20% January 1st. I don't hear GOP senators howling about that one either. I thought the Republican Party was against tax hikes. I thought the GOP criticized Joe Biden during the midterm election over tax hikes. So it's just exasperating, and it's just going to pass. They're going to go home, and Kevin McCarthy says any Republicans that vote for it should be disqualified. I don't know what that means. But Mitch McConnell, first off, on what he just said, is maddening. Cutting the corporate tax rate allow corporates, corporations to, to compete on a level playing field with most other, from the EU on down, with other countries. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's part of that uni party, you know. And now you can see why he tried to work against people like, you know, you were talking about Mark Kelly um, there was that the the senator who was running against him. Why, why is his name escaping who, me? Against him, uh, Blake Masters. Blake Masters. Thank you very much. By the way, couldn't we, with all the stuff that's going on with Twitter and social media and the FBI, couldn't we use somebody who understands technology and social media platforms in the Senate? Would have been great. Um, you can see that he worked. But against, you know, Arizona. Why didn't he do well? He lost by five, six points. Listen, I mean, just look at what what, what the story we've been covering all week, which is the Twitter stuff. Brian, this is what's so depressing. You know, I used to think at one point, you know, maybe Sean will get back into politics at one point in the future. Um, If things don't change with the way that the liberals are manipulating social media, there's you just can't win against that kind of interference in an election. I mean, Sean could be the best candidate in the world. He could be get all the, you know, uh, donor funding that he wants from his constituents and, and, and be in a great election cycle and he could still lose because the power of social media and those algorithms to turn up your mm. opponent and turn you down, um, the, the amount of election interference, I mean, honestly, it, it, we don't have free elections. We have to get social media and the government out of these elections so we can return our elections to the people. So, why and don't so you- that's what happened. I think, Mark, I think Blake Masters would have won if it weren't for the meddling of so many things in our elections and including Mitch McConnell. He went he 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 should have given money from the Senate fund to that candidate but he doesn't want someone independent, somebody who cares about, you know, the the budget and and inflation and so forth. Well, it's his rivalry with Trump because Trump yeah. said, "Yo, he picked him, let him finance him and yeah. Blake Masters got that some too. money from that somebody too. else." And also him and Rick Scott weren't speaking. So Senator Rick Scott was not speaking to Mitch McConnell. Once, yeah. I mean, their the, the objective should have been the same. Why Rick Mitch- Scott would be a far better leader of of the Senate than Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell's mm-hmm. days have passed. That guy is 
I don't even recognize. Who is he? What is he? Who is his constituency? He represents himself and a few lobbyists in D.C. I don't see him representing what Republicans. I mean, Republicans didn't win all the elections that they wanted in the midterms, but they did win a lot of them. And I can guarantee you that the people who went to the polls do not believe in any of the spending that Mitch McConnell is putting forward. Here's Mitch McConnell praising the spending bill. Cut 12. So let's step back and say, what are the real needs of the country right now? They're in the defense part of our expenditures, making sure the Defense Department can deal with the major threats coming from Russia and China, providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. So admittedly, I'm pretty proud of the fact that with a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Democratic Senate, we were able to achieve, through this omnibus spending bill, essentially all of our priorities. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, there's so much that can be said about that. First, I would say this guy, I, I don't think there is a politician more out of touch with the American people than Mitch McConnell or, 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 or more out of touch with the Republican Party and, and where the voters are at. And also, you look at him and you can totally see what went wrong during the Trump years. Um, you know, Trump wasn't just fighting um, Democrats. He was fighting people like Mitch McConnell. And it's that's a tough thing to do. That's, it's amazing what Trump actually accomplished yeah, well, given work, these kinds of obstacles. Until the end, uh, to January 6th. They were working together. Uh, you know, yeah. they, had, they had some uh, brawls. Oh, um, but uh, the president now is uh, – he, he had to deal with uh, the January 6th, whatever that is, ceremonial. And now he's got today they're going to release his taxes. Under what auspices do they release a former president's taxes with him out of office at a request? Where's the why? Where's the why are you asking for the release of his taxes to see if he gained money during his presidency? Yeah, it's, really? su- it's when, super— when are, we, when are we starting to do that? Are we going to go back and ask Barack Obama? Yeah. Or should, we, should we go and start doing that? Because the president's going to go after, right after Biden. Yeah, it's super third world. Um I would be okay with it if I actually believed that it would go both ways. But I mean, I mean, that's that would be a great argument. Look, this, we're, next time, you know, the Republicans are going to go after you. I don't see that happening. You know why? Because look at January sixth. Look, look at all the stuff that's happening with this January. They're still going after January sixth. They're still going after Do- Donald Trump with his taxes. All this stuff. We've been covering this Twitter stuff. When has Hunter Biden ever had any repercussions for what he's done? When is Joe Zero. Biden? Zero. The FBI has done nothing. You know who's – they haven't raided Hunter Biden's home. They actually pillaged through uh, uh, Baron Trump's bedroom in Mar-a-Lago, and nobody's gone through Hunter Biden's bedroom. I. This is what I'm saying. There's such a double standard. If you're a Republican, um, you know, there's all kinds of, of – right of, you know, FBI investigations or they go after you. The, I mean, all those 50 or 70,000 um, new IRS agents, th- those are being hired to go after Republicans. Those are being hired to intimidate Republican 87, donors. 87,000. 87,000. Yeah, let's uh, start repealing that back. And by the way, George Soros, you see this? $35 uh-huh. million dollars into funding police organizations. Yeah. Why He's also anybody... funding those NGOs that are pushing yeah. these open border policies at our border. No mm-hmm. one has done more to destroy America then that then George Soros. Yeah, th- that ultra rich guy. Uh, we'll see what happens. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'm going to have Rachel for a few more minutes, and then you're going to start your your. Then week I'm off? starting my vacation. So I am keeping you from enjoying your life. 
No, I enjoy being with you, Brian. You know what? Can I just say that? Do you have to go right now? Yeah. Really? And then we, I'll, I'll how about that for a tease? The, when we come back, I'm gonna what you were going to say. Okay. Sounds good. Finally, Rachel will tell us her thoughts. <laughs> back in a moment. <laughs> Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. There's no soundbite to really lead into this next point, because when we left, Rachel will give her opinion on something. You had something to say, but you were very wary of the break structure. I, know, I knew you were going to have a break there. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm so shy about giving my opinion. <laughs> so I, I far, yeah. Break to, so I was to couching up it. To this. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to say, because it, it came through today on the show when we worked this morning. What I like about you, what I like about our show is we can all have different opinions. Um, we can all, you know, you and I clearly don't agree on Ukraine. And I, I think you're you're passionate and you're sincere in how you feel. And I feel as are you. Yeah. And I think it's great that that we have a show where we, we can have people with different opinions. Oh, yeah. and we can also remain friends and we can respect each other and how we got to those conclusions and um, I just I just really respect that about you, Brian. And I respect that about our show. Yeah. You know, people say, oh, you know, Fox News are all, you know. No, actually, on Fox News, a lot That's of us right. have very different opinions right. on a lot of different things. And they did a study, and uh, it was an independent study, and they say, most times I'm right. And There is a poll that says Brian's always right. right. We, and we were given the poll when, we were, when I was hired. Right. That was the first piece of paper that was given to me, a poll saying. Do they have any science behind it? Th- there's some science behind it. It's called. Brian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I just love this. Like, I watched the quad box in the breaks. Yeah. There's talking about Donald. You have Al Sharpton talking about Donald Trump's taxes. Al Sharpton hasn't paid taxes in like 100 years. <laughs> How did when, he make when, his money? <laughs> he's not president anymore. What is with these people? I know. You've got all these big you know, stories Brian, going I, You're such a TV guy. You speak in that lingo. So the quad box, I didn't even know what that was. So the quad box is a TV screen with four different channels yeah. on at the same time one screen this is why like when we had cardinal dolan on today um brian was trying to talk about cardinal dolan's sermon but he referred to it as a monologue right <laughs> i said are you so... working on your monologue <laughs> but i said that in the break and you told cardinal dolan i said it and now i'm going but to it help. is it is tv lingo and i love it <laughs> you do live in this world i, I it's, do it's fantastic my life's a teleprompter <laughs> and I, and at the end of the day i tossed a break i tossed a break <laughs> <laughs> From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. Victor Davis Hanson at the bottom of the hour. Man, you got to be on your A game. Victor Davis Hanson, one of the deepest thinkers, smartest people that you'll talk about and talk to as we get ready for this new election season. And soon, once Republicans settle on a speaker, and I hope it's Kevin McCarthy, we're going to be set for the next two years. But there's some ongoing stories that we're going to be covering, including some relatively breaking news uh, about what's happening with the president of Ukraine. But Victor Davis Hanson. And then we're going to do a simulcast with America's Newsroom. Uh, That'll be great. Uh, So it'll be on Fox News Channel, Fox Nation, as well as this station. So uh, we come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. That is the headquarters of Fox News. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It came together pretty quickly. Over a matter of days, with it only being finalized this past Sunday, did Zelensky agree to come to Washington with a real element of risk here? He needs to be able to safely get out of Ukraine and then get back into his home country afterward. Huh. Unbelievable. He's here. President Zelensky arrives in Washington and will address a joint session of Congress. The address is likely to be emotional and motivating as the Ukrainian president will leave with Patriot missiles, I hope, and fighter jets, along with billions. And many many Republicans are not happy. I am. Number two. When you have a bill this large and uh, atrocious, it allows for people on Capitol Hill not to be held accountable for the votes that they take. It allows them to throw up their hands and say, well, we didn't want a government shutdown, especially before Christmas, and we were just going to move on. This is no way to fund a country. Another top-secret $2 trillion omnibus boondoggle is about to pass in lieu of a legitimate budget. I have the details and alternative path led by the GOP. Number one. This is an untenable situation. I can tell you as a native Arizonan who was born and raised near the border, the border is not secure and it has never been secure in my lifetime. Yeah, that is Senator Kirsten Cinema, but it was a lot more secure when President Trump was there. And you know that broken border and a delay for Title 42. Makeshift barriers are being rolled out. Drugs are flowing. Illegals are streaming. And so far, Biden gets a pass. I sense not for long as Dems begin to demand he address a problem that he created. And that's where I want to start. And, and you know, so many days you come up and you're like, is this the same story again? It's more and more horrendous. I don't know how Bill Malusian does it. He sits there and he does these tweets and does these reports talking about things that nobody else gets because they know we're, we are serious as a channel, as a, as a company, uh, this show is. And we are providing information that never would be getting out, including drone technology. We have our own drone team. So Humvees along the border, razor wire is being set up. 20,000 National Guard troops flood into Texas. Malusia says the state of Texas is bringing more shipping containers to create a lengthy makeshift wall like they're doing in Arizona at a popular crossing area in Eagle Pass. This is where we have funded the wall, but they will not actually follow through with it. He also tweeted this. Elite trackers with uh, the Texas uh, Border Patrol, uh, Texas DPS, just think uh, Operation Lone Star, arrested three illegal immigrants from Honduras who were smuggling two pounds of fentanyl pills, 172 pounds of marijuana, as they snuck through the extremely remote terrain of the Big Bend sector in West Texas. One smuggler was only 14 years old. So you got migrants released in El Paso, 10,000 plus last week, uh, the week before, 8,000. That's as bad as it gets. All right. When we come back, we are going to uh, we're going to go do America's Newsroom, do a simulcast with uh, Bill Hammer. And then at the back end of that, I'll be able to take some of your calls. 1-866-408-7669. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. In a matter of moments, I'll be able to take your call, 1-866-408-7669. At the bottom of the hour, Victor Davis Hansen. We're still waiting to get any details on President Zelensky, where he is and when he'll speak. We do know, too, about the, um, the, the passing of Franco Harris. He was about to have his number retired, number 32. It was 50 years since the Immaculate Reception against the Raiders. Who put the, uh, they would eventually put Pittsburgh into the Super Bowl. Uh, and that was him that made the incredible catch. The incredibly alert would run it in, shock everybody. But now he passes away. He's just 72 years old. And I'll add something to that. 
No one even knew he was sick. That might be a personal situation. So let's do a simulcast with America's Newsroom. We went from a really, really amazing historical moment to uh, sad one. So God bless the the memory of Franco Harris. Now to those who aspire to be the next Franco Harris. The defense bill may prevent service academy athletes from playing professional sports right away. Uh, marking a big change from an earlier provision. It says this, quote, an agreement by a cadet or midshipman to play professional sport constitutes a breach of service obligation. The cadet may not obtain employment, including as a professional athlete, until after completing the cadet's commission service obligation. A lot of money on the line here. Brian Kilmeade here, the co-host of Fox & Friends on Radio Now. And Brian, good to have you on. Uh, there's been a provision carved out by Congress. I'll explain that in a second. But just on its face, what do you make of this today? Well, is it necessary? I mean, was there a problem with too many players at West Point and Annapolis and Air Force Academy saying, I want to go pro, I don't want to serve. I haven't heard of a problem. Or was it that President Trump brought it up a couple of years ago and said, these athletes that emerge at the academies that have pro potential, why are we robbing them of a window to make generational money in professional sports? So in a situation which passes the criteria, uh, let them play. In the case of this guy, Andre Carter, he's six foot seven, 260 pounds. He's probably going to be a first or second round draft pick of Army. They go ahead and do this provision. He goes, wait a second. I signed up knowing if I emerge as a pro pro prospect, I can play and then go into do my service afterwards. What's the problem? And now they're going to go ahead and bring this in. And I don't get it. You know, some people like Mike Gallagher seem to have stepped up and said, we got to grandfather those who went to the academy under the auspices that if they emerge after their sophomore year and want to go pro, that they could. That would make sense. Here is a quote from Andre's parents uh, saying that thank you to the members of Congress who stepped up, spoke out, and worked expeditiously in support of Andre and other service academy cadets and midshipmen who made decisions in reliance on the 2019 policy allowing deferral of service. The goodness we saw in people this past week will forever be imprinted upon us. And yet, I, you know, you don't know how, as you said, Brian, how many people there would be. As, and you know, I don't know a lot about sports, but Bill but. was explaining to me that sometimes the academies they don't necessarily produce. Players like this, but in this case of Andre Carter, he certainly seems like he could be a one or two draft pick. Yeah, and not only that, Dana, what what President Trump said after hearing this story is, why don't we just make a provision for those unique athletes to go in the academy and have this window? It might be a basketball player. David Robinson's example, Bill, you know well. I think he grew six inches in the academy. He was too big to serve in a submarine anyway. The Spurs draft him number one, and after roughly six months, they go, go play, come back and serve in a different way. So he ends up having a Hall of Fame career. But um, I am afraid the next great man or woman, a a national team women's soccer player or a tennis star, I got to go, yeah, uh, I'm going to serve. I want to go serve my country. I want to be an elite officer. And I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. Can I just see what my potential is? Because this athletic ability is not run of the mill. You know how many people go to play and just don't have what it takes to even play at an academy, let go pro? Why make it hard? Why throw another monkey wrench into signing up for the academy? It's very similar to the vaccine. I'm kicking you out if you don't take a vaccine that most of us haven't even looked at a booster yet and we realize doesn't really work against any of these variants. Your example of Dave Robinson was very well taken. I just want to get this in. For uh, Congress has stepped in. If you've enrolled pre, prior to June 1st, 2021, uh, you can pursue your pro ambitions, but everyone after that uh, cannot. Just we've got one more thing here. Dana, go ahead. Well, I just want to say it was great to have you in Bayhead, uh, New Jersey, in the Point Pleasant Beach at the little 
uh, Point Bookshop, and your paperback is out. The Freedom, the President, and the Freedom Fighter. Oh, Hello. hey, Percy showed up. I didn't know we had that picture. That's pretty cute. That's pretty cute. It's great to have you, Brian. Yeah, it was good to be in your backyard, and good to be with great bookstore, great friends, great family atmosphere. People talk about full employment. If you have a family bookstore and your family works there, your family works for free. And that's yep. one way to get it very successful, so to meet a great people That's the family the there, town. Kelly yeah, Crivelli are. and her crew, and they're a great family, and it was fun to have you there. Hey, right. Brian, Merry Christmas. Tell Merry Christmas, Radio, Brian. Hello, okay? right, guys, see you in the hall, and from my audience to yours, thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, so we're back, one 408 7669 Now we have more than a full segment, right? Ian. We have a super long segment. Yeah, we segment. have, because I got out earlier, because we were writing breaking news on the television network, always seen on Fox Nation. On Fox, we go to Fox Business a lot with Stuart Varney, and this week we're going to do a simulcast tomorrow too, aren't we? Yeah, we, we're keeping Eric super duper busy. So we had <laughs> Varney yesterday, <laughs> America's Newsroom, and then Harris tomorrow. So do you know I do those hits in the morning mm-hmm. on my uh, your radio hits with on our my radio, radio hits uh, with uh, WABC this morning? I'm getting Eric. I meant to tell you, I'm having trouble connecting. Um, not not with the morning show host uh, Sid Rosenberg. But I'm connecting. I don't know what's going on. Is there something with the internet or something? On the I think it's really amazing radio to talk about technical problems on the air. <laughs> but it's all the simulcast tech stuff that it's the same that's, thing. Well, that is true. We will go look at it after the right. show. But that's why I wish Eric would just get up at four in the morning. Come sit why don't in, my, three? In, in my studio, uh, in my office, and just make sure the button works. Want me to go uh, take a look at it now. I can go now. <laughs> no, yeah, Allison, just slide over there. You always say how easy it is. I've hit buttons before. Right, you've hit buttons. The All off right, so, mic is good. No, but um, go we actually have a cut then that I pulled since you guys were talking a little about about the vaccine. It's uh, we played a little bit yesterday, but this is a different cut. It's from Tim Robbins with um, oh my gosh, the actor Russell Brand. Tim Robbins. Yes, the Rus- actor Tim Robbins with Russell Brand talking about how politicized the vaccine was in the U.S. So we can hear that. It was a very different political environment in the United States, very divisive, very much based on on politics. If you were, well, it changed. At first, if you were a Democrat, when Trump was president, you weren't going to take that vaccine because it was Trump's vaccine. And then that seemed to somehow change. It was kind of Orwellian. It was like we are no longer at war with East Asia. It was was, now we were thinking about it a different way. And if you didn't take the vaccine, you were a Republican. And it wasn't that way here in England. There was a, a much more tolerant attitude towards the diversity of opinion. So I was really grateful to have been in this experience so that I could get a different perspective. Uh, Tim Robbins uh, saying, you know, it was true. This would have been totally reversed. And when you tested positive, see, Trump never would have done the mandates. He would have strongly recommended, never would have done the mandates. That would have diffused everything. Number two, Trump wanted to get back to normal rapidly. So he would have been pushing the schools to and not going along with the schools and the unions. He would have been pushing kids to get back in school and siding with parents. The number three thing would have been when people started testing positive after they got the vaccine, the narrative would be Donald Trump rushed it. It wasn't ready. How dare he push things at his speed? He's being that's not the way you do in the medical community. Anthony Fauci would have given these interviews and said, yeah, I didn't really do warp speed. I I went along with it because I'm, I'm an advisor. I don't set policy. And then people that tested positive, like Donald Trump felt that Donald Trump killed me. Because Donald Trump's vaccine, I took it, I died. You know, I, my relatives died because of that. And it would have been totally different. And just to see everybody walking around with masks, that is a Democrat thing. 
If you are getting a vaccine, all the boosters, that's a Democrat thing. If you push back on schools and question the science, that's a Republican thing. And Tim Robbins, who's the ultra, I always knew him as an ultra left winger in England, I guess, shooting a movie. Maybe he moved there. I don't know. Noticed the difference between America and in London because they don't have the polarization on parties right now between the labor and the conservatives that they have. But they got other problems. They got huge problems, and we are bouncing back better than most uh, at this moment. But uh, let's talk about what's happening today, and then I'll go to the phone, 1-866-408-7669. So we got word, and I understand why they didn't give us a heads up on this. It makes kind of sense that uh, President Zelensky has left Ukraine and is coming here. He um, uh, he will uh, meet with the president uh, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon uh, on talk about the Ukraine. Then at the White House, they'll meet. Then the president holds a joint press conference with Zelensky of the Ukraine. That should be interesting. Having them both together, shoulder to shoulder, that should be fascinating. There's a lot of Republicans. I don't know any Democrats. They just feel as though we're spending too much money and don't think we should spend it there. Don't think it's our fight and don't think this is the perfect government we should be defending. Perfect enough. And this was an invasion by Russia. And if Russia, if you've been paying attention, you saw what they did in Georgia, left, stayed, went in, stayed. Then they go in to take Crimea. They went in, they stayed. They went to Syria. They went in. They stayed. Guess what? They go into Ukraine. They wanted to take it, and they wanted to keep it. And if we don't stop them here, goodbye Lithuania, goodbye Estonia, and then goodbye Poland. We'll have all types of pressure. You hear about election meddling. Then the Russian-friendly person will win these elections, and suddenly we'll have a reconstituted Soviet Union. If they could find a way to get a positive resolve and push them out of the Ukraine, dare I say Crimea, we would have stopped the next generation of Russian aggression and hopefully say goodbye to Vladimir Putin because they don't fight. They're underfunded. They're techn- technologically archaic back to the Soviet Union 1960s or 1950s days. Their leaders don't know what they're doing and their soldiers haven't been trained. That's what's been exposed for this. And I hope that the president uh, will have a joint press conference. But then I think tonight or later on early evening, President Zelensky will just uh, address a joint session of Congress. The guy's a leader. And when you and this other thing is they say, well, he shut down TV stations. They're pro-Russian TV stations owned by a Russian oligarch. And he was tired of hearing the rhetoric. So he said, goodbye, I'm shutting you down. And number two, they had a problem with the church. I don't know the details of a problem with the church that he shut down. But there's such a history in that area of Russian loyalty that I wouldn't doubt that the Russian church was a direct line to Russia. So he, at this point, 300 days into a conflict, I wouldn't be screwing around either, especially when you know people that have died. You watch people that have fought. You haven't seen, in many cases, families back in their neighborhoods, infrastructure destroyed. You have no patience for turncoats. Joe, listening on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Merry Christmas to you, your family, the whole staff, Alice and Eric, Pete, the family. I'll get that out of the way. I just heard your whole argument make a couple of good points. I totally disagree with you. We have to stop the insanity. War is horrible. Nobody wins in war, Brian. You're not going to stop uh, this um, some Putin. Somebody else will pop up. There'll be another Putin. There's a 250 million people. Listen, he could win that war in a heartbeat. He's got nuclear weapons. No, he can't. The war should he never can't. have happened. You have to if he, goes, if he even tries to do nuclear Brian. weapons, he'll be totally wiped out. He'll be hit from nine different sides. And he will not use it because any nuclear weapon, tactical or, or, or just biological, is going to blow right back at him. He's not using nuclear weapons. 
All right, the military industrial complex makes money when bombs go off, Brian. There's 250 million Russians. They're not going to surrender to Ukraine. We have to, Biden caused this war with his feckless, weak leadership. We are going to drag our American children into this. You have no skin in the game. Our boys and girls, our youth, and you are they in it now? Are they in it now? Hey, Joe, are they in it now? Are they in it now? If they, if if they, if we don't let the Ukraine, this is the ultimate proxy war. We we provide the weapons; they provide the victories. All they want is the weapons to win, and they're beginning to win. They win every fight on the ground. Now is sending them protection. If we let Russia continue to absorb Eastern Europe, we've seen this movie before. We will be fighting over there, no question. So I, I don't, you know, you have a point. You could say just forget it. You close your eyes for a while, but when you open them up, things are going to be a whole lot worse. Do you think we caused, did you, they wanted to play Shashka Vili in 2008, they said was too belligerent. That's why the Russians invaded. Well, why did they stay? Crimea? Unprovoked? Unprovoked, they just take it back? Vladimir Putin wanted his trophy. And when he got there and was allowed to stay, he wanted more. And now he's getting his ass kicked. We're going to come back and talk to Victor Davis Hanson about that, where we're heading, what we can look forward to for the next year. Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You can kind of maybe justify there being some kind of involvement in suppressing this or that. I I guess there's an argument for that, but they're doing it at a level that's so micro and so ridiculously thorough that it can't possibly be anything but a a dystopian project. I mean, they want to absolutely control or at least have some impact on basically every communication that happens on their platform, which seems crazy to me. I don't know about you, but that seems that seems more in the realm of Orwell to me. Matt Taibbi talking about his experience and went to Elon Musk said, go to town on this communication between the FBI or any intelligence operation and Twitter itself. Joining us now, Victor Davis Hanson, Hoover Institute senior fellow. Victor, always great to hear from you. Your thoughts about what we've learned as Matt Taibbi, anything but a right-wing conservative, comes to these conclusions that the FBI was way over its mandate. Yeah, I think every pathology we have about the so-called administrative state was there. What the FBI is, is dis- degenerated into is sort of a personal auxiliary Praetorian Guard of the Biden family. I mean, on the one hand, uh, they were suppressing the laptop and using their contacts with the former intelligence committee to, to print this bogus uh, James Clapper, John Brennan headline uh, affidavit that this was a product of Russian disinformation while they kept it uh, suppressed, even though they knew it was authentic. And then the other arm of that project was to work with Twitter to suppress any information to the contrary. And, and I think um, – Brian, we're going to learn there were other social media platforms as well as Twitter. It was a comprehensive effort. And then they had the revolving door. It was almost as if we're going to coordinate with you, get to know you, and you're going to have a little end with the FBI. We're going to have an end with you. And then when we retire, almost as if we're defense contractors, uh, generals coming out of the Pentagon to go to a defense contracting board, we're going to come to Twitter. 
And so it was incestuous. It was probably illegal. There's no remedy because this follows, I think that the context is really critical. This follows the Peter Navarro arrest, the Mar-a-Lago, the FBI monitoring school boards. And it's just so serial that I think the only answer is the next Republican president is going to have to break up the agency. I really do. I think and farm out the bureaus to different cabinetcies or move it to Kansas City or something because it, its present incarnation is too dangerous to the republic. But are they, are they going to allow themselves to be broken up? Chris Ray up top seems to be a guy that no matter what you tell him, he doesn't, uh, nothing nothing went wrong. We're going to look into that. We're going to think about it. Is your no, impression he, that he has an idea? He, he has an idea no, what's happening? No, this is a man that told senators that when they were inquiring about legitimate but embarrassing issues with the FBI. He said he had to go. He had an appointment, and then he got in his FBI jet, and he flew to his vacation home. So, no, he has no credibility left. But in the, it's not going to come from the Democratic Party or in the Congress or in the administration because we've, we've seen a radical— I think it's the most revolutionary thing in my lifetime how these intelligence agencies— uh, have become now agents, and as well as the Pentagon, of the left. And the left adores them because they feel that they can enact social change or political change without the back and forth of legislative logjam. So just get, get call the FBI. They can do it. Call the Pentagon. They can get woke training. Call the CIA. Call John Brennan, and they get it done. And that's radical, and all of us on the traditional side had always supported these why the left had attacked them, and I don't think any of us on the conservative side are going to have that same level of support. I know I'm not, because I don't trust them, any of them, the CIA, the FBI, the IRS, the Pentagon anymore, not, not given their record, and they're not, they're not going to have any reform um, because they're being rewarded for what they do. Christopher Wray realizes that as long as he does— uh, surveys people, surveils people, board meetings or stonewalls Congress or has these virtue signaling uh, photo ops with people, you know, Steve Bannon or Peter Navarro or John, uh, what's his, uh, Eastman, any of them, that that he's going to be rewarded by Merrick Garland administration to the degree that he doesn't do that and he's transparent and he cooperates with both sides of the aisle, he's not going to have a job. Well, it's going to be a lot harder uh, to get your message out if uh, there aren't more Elon Musk buying the other social media apps. Well, absolutely. But I think there's kind of been a revolution going on now in Silicon Valley that there's a lot of these people who feel that they've reached the level of wokeness. In other words, they're at peak wokeness, and now the left's kind of eating their own. So, you know, I, I work at Stanford University, and I have a lot of friends in Silicon Valley, and privately, it, it's just sort of a range of issues, Brian. I mean, some of them say, you know, we can't trust. You saw Stanford University, which is the embryo of Silicon Valley, their, their list of words you can't use, the fact they do- tossed out the SAT, the fact that people that had perfect SAT scores, 70% of them were rejected at Stanford. And a lot of people are saying, you know, we don't trust these degrees anymore. We're going to have to give our own tests. We don't, we think the left is going to go after us uh, on a lot of issues. So I, I think you're going to start to see a, a lot of people saying, you know, we supported these guys, but now they're turning on us. And so they may not say that publicly, but privately, uh, I think, they're worried that they're in the target 
in the crosshairs now. And you saw some of the pushback, too, with the Twitter executives. They were not comfortable with the, 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 the request. No, for they it. weren't. And they were saying, you want us to go and shadow ban a, a, a follower who's got like nine followers because you don't like something they're saying? And the weekly meetings and the Aspen Institute war games, the tabletop presentations, knowing that the, now that they know we know that the Hunter Biden thing was in their possession. Now, even though they're Democrats what? and left wing, they might be saying to themselves, these guys were playing us. They had the laptop. Yeah, I mean, they knew this story. You think, of the, you think of the cultural aspects. You think a guy in flip-flops and cutoffs and a tie-dye shirt that walks into Pole Earth and, then, uh, and Palo Alto wants to brag that he's working secretly with the FBI to suppress information. Or do you think a, a Stanford professor is bragging right now as a so-called civil libertarian that the Bankman parents, freed uh, parents, uh, were channeling money that without probably gift tax to buy luxury real estate in the Bahamas as they packaged and bundled dark money from Silicon Valley, some of it brought by into their uh, pack by their son. These are very illiberal things that very liberal people who profess to be very liberal are doing. And I think a lot of them are starting to get embarrassed. And uh, it's not going to change, though, from the Biden administration because they find all of this useful. And the media and the Biden administration won't change. It's not going to happen until Republicans take control of the Senate and the presidency. And then I think they feel I think their attitude now, Brian, is this can't go on. And we know it. And we're probably going to lose power. So we've got to open the border. We've got to do all we can why we can, because this is a a rare moment in our history where we as revolutionaries have a moment, a window of opportunity. And we're not going to back down. And so I think we're going to see some crazy things in the next two years. Uh, that's not a good sign. I thought we would uh, we are, had our wake up call during the midterms, but I guess it was outdone by Roe v. Wade, perhaps. Uh, but you, you mentioned Sam Bankman Fried, whose parents teach at Stanford, who were working. Yeah. What the dad was effectively, effectively an employee there. So this has got to yeah. be the biggest embarrassment possible. This scammer and these smart people know this guy was. Uh, he dressed like hell. He was, gave a horrible presentation, pretended to be altruistic. Ninety percent or 80 percent of all his donations went to Democratic causes. He's with the leading world leaders. And now he's sitting in disgrace in a, in a jail cell. Will probably, if there's any justice in the world, spend the next two decades there. Is that a come to Jesus moment for those people? Absolutely. And it's 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 the culmination of a lot of things that are going on that are not widely reported by the left wing media. For example, not only were the parents somewhat involved because they were buying real estate with money that they didn't earn, and that's going to be uh, an object of investigation, but they were very prominent in attacking the right and being a political activist while they were professors on campus. And this goes on when just yesterday, as you probably know, Fox reported it, Stanford's uh, IT left-wing committee listed all these words you cannot use on campus, yeah. supposedly, and among them were things like American. And the people were outraged, especially online, that the current president of Stanford University is under intense investigation, that some of his scientific research was invalid. In, that's a euphemism, invalid, and he's under pressure. We, our campus, birthed Elizabeth Holmes, remember her, from the Theranos uh, disaster. Yes. And so, so the university's been battered, and the reason it's been battered is it has this unholy alliance with huge amounts of money from Silicon Valley and professors and administrators who go back and forth. 
And uh, it's not a good le- hard left wing virtue signaling politics is used by that university to disguise the fact that there's a lot of unethical uh, behavior that's materially uh, generated in their selfish careerism and big money. And then they, they say, well, we don't do that. The left doesn't do that. We don't care about money. We're, we're for virtue and diversity, equity, and inclusion. But in fact, it's corrupt. And I think that's the, what's weird about the left right now, whether we look at uh, the Biden administration and Hunter Biden and all of these people, for all that rhetoric about being neo-socialist, they have a, a really elemental grifting urge. They just want to get as much money as they can, as shady as they can. And I think the Biden administration is the epitome of this. This whole Biden family, is it's going to blow. They know that as soon as they lose power, it's going to blow up. And the investigations are going to make the investigations of the Trump family look like nothing. But they don't care. They think as long as they have power, they're immune. Yeah, it's pretty relentless. What about the fact that George Soros has been now uncovered to find out that he's supporting a myriad of anti-cop causes? So he puts AGs in who don't want to enforce the law. They want to empty the prisons and not have the people uh, pay bail. And now they're going to fund anti-cop movements. So, I I mean, this is just anti-American. Yeah, I don't think he has a positive. And I mean, some of the people on the left think they can enact change by advancing alternate, alternate socialist programs. I don't think he's one of them. I think he's a nihilist. And his agenda has always been... I'm just going to destroy things that I don't like. So I'm going to fund, for example, as we know notoriously, these big city district attorney's offices. We're, we're going to fund right. them, and they're going to dismantle the law, and they're going to get crime, and crime's going to get so bad that you're not going to like it, and ha, ha, ha. That's what happens to your capitalist elitist system. I mean, this is a man who made his money by trying to break the Bank of England. He's a convicted felon in France, and he understood something very – he was very astute in the 1990s. He ceased being bipartisan and apolitical because he knew that the left would shield him from all investigations of how he got his money and why he was a pariah in Europe. Still can't go into France. And he was right. Once he became left, he bought identity insurance like so many people do. They get a blanket exemption as long as they profess all of these virtue cause, virtue signaling causes. So, uh, Victor, right now we're uh, looking at Donald Trump had the January 6th trial finally wrapped up. If you watch other channels, they're, they're constantly covering this. Now they're going to look into his taxes. Have you ever seen something so uh, audacious and uh, inexplicable as in demanding former President Trump's taxes for no apparent reason? The House gets him. So now they're going to look at him, see if they could find some corruption. Now is that they set a terrible precedent. They did. That's the that's the key word you use, Brian, because I think they don't understand what's coming. They have set so many presents, and some of them have been just trivial, uh, tearing up the State of the Union address if you don't like it on television, like Nancy Pelosi, but impeaching a president in his first term the moment he loses majority. That's something Biden should be very worried about come uh, next year. This idea that you impeach a president twice, you impeach him, uh, you try him as a private citizen, you raid his home, you go after his taxes. And all of that is in the context of and every single one of those issues. The Biden family has much more exposure so what's going to happen is a little bit because the Republicans have the House, but as soon as they get the Senate and back in power, they're going to use those precedents and and they're going to have to. Not that I'm an Old Testament eye for an eye, but if they don't, 
They're going to have no deterrence at all. The left's going to say, ha, if I were them, I would have done to us what we did to them. But, they're, you know, they play by the Marcus Quinsby rule. So, and they, to stop it, they're going to have to do something in retaliation that's commiserate. And they're not going to like it. And I think you're going to see the House try to do stuff already. But I don't get the idea that when you have so much exposure to wrongdoing in a preemptory fashion, you try to accuse people of what you're guilty of. Interesting. Uh, I just think uh, overall, uh, our country, I think most people are shell-shocked there wasn't a midterm red wave. Overall, what do you think the reason is the Senate's not in Republican hands, Victor Davis? I'm, I'm really disappointed like you are. I think they got overconfident. I think they had a negative agenda, which was okay, but they had no positive. No one said if we get the House, we may not get the law passed because of the Senate and the vetoes, but we're going to build so many miles of the wall. We're going to open Anwar and so many. They should have had a positive contract with America. They were outspent. I don't understand after 2000. 18, 2020, they haven't caught on to mail-in and early balloting, which is now 70% in most states. They don't understand it. They get killed by it. And that's the, that's the, the charitable version that it's legal, and, and some of it's not, obviously. And so they, they, didn't, they didn't watch that, they, and they're outspent. They're outspent three to four to one. They don't have anything. I think the win red is a pale imitation of act blue. They just don't raise money like they used to. And Donald Trump didn't help things when he announced, he sort of said, within a wink and a nod, I'm going to have a big announcement. That meant that he was going to run, and that sort of energized some of the uh, hard left to come out. And then he attacked DeSantis in some key races that may have turned off DeSantis supporters. And uh, I think the polls on the conservative side, a lot of people let down their guard because they, you know, when you have the right. insider advantage in Trafalgar polls showing, you know, huge leads, seven, eight points in some cases. And man, they lost, late. yeah, they lost credibility with that. Hey, Victor, yeah. have, a, have a great holiday. Thanks so much. You too, Brian. Victor Davis Hanson, one of the smartest people you will ever listen to. Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we're back. We've got a couple of minutes, and you're just talking to Victor Davis Hanson about how it's playing. He believes things are hitting uh, a touchstone because if you're out on the West Coast and it's exposed that you're working with the FBI, that's the man out there. You don't want to be working with the man. That's society. That's, that's, um, that's law and order. And now you circumvented your creativity and maybe your whole social media platform to the FBI, giving into weekly calls, answering every one of their requests, going to the Aspen Institute game planning session, tabletop game planning session. You saw some pushback in the exchange, and now we're seeing it. Uh, we're seeing more of it as it comes out. Now we're finding out that Twitter was working with the Pentagon uh, to the Middle East to manipulate messages and to get our uh, our word out to the Middle East to be, you know, Radio Free Europe or America Unplugged, but pretending not to be unplugged, pretending to be a social media platform, not outright and pr- prideful of saying, OK, this is the American message, pretending you're not. So that could cause some backlash in the long run. Maybe we'll see some of that. Uh, I'm, I'm relatively hopeful. I did not know that the Stanford did not take the SATs. Uh, I, I did not know. I thought this was one of the elite institutions in the country. They'd be one of the last to leave a standardized test. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, go to briankilmeade.com. You can order the President and Freedom Fighter. 
and I could personalize and get it out to you, as well as any of my other books. Keep it here. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Rich Lowry standing by. Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour. It's going to be a big hour, and we're following a few stories. Sad news. Franco Harris died. This guy was a few days from having his number 32 retired by the Steelers. I don't know why it wasn't done already. And then uh, 50 years since the Immaculate Reception against the beat, the beat the Raiders. Passed away at the age of 72. So that's uh, that's uh, huge news. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It came together pretty quickly, over a matter of days, with only being finalized this past Sunday. Did Zelensky agree to come to Washington with a real element of risk here? He needs to be able to safely get out of Ukraine and then get back into his home country afterward. Uh, there you go. That is, uh, that is a big risk. Uh, President Zelensky has evidently got on a train to Poland, and then flew out of Poland. Now he's in Washington. He'll address a joint session of Congress, meet one-on-one with uh, President Biden, and drive a tough bargain. He wants more money. He's going to get the Patriot missile system, it seems. Uh, But I think he wants to go out and win this thing once and for all. Number two. When you have a bill this large and uh, atrocious, it allows for people on Capitol Hill not to be held accountable for the votes that they take. It allows them to throw up their hands and say, well, we didn't want a government shutdown, especially before Christmas, and we were just going to move on. Yep, Katie Pavlich weighs in. There's no way to, this is no way to fund a country. Another top secret to trillion dollar omnibus boondoggle is about to pass in lieu of a legit budget. I have the details and an alternative path if the GOP decides not to go along with this, which they shouldn't. Number one. This is an untenable situation. I can tell you as a native Arizonan who was born and raised near the border, the border is not secure and it has never been secure in my lifetime. Much closer under President Trump, Kirsten Cinema. Broken border, delayed Title 42. Makeshift barriers, drugs flow, illegal stream, and so far Biden gets a pass and doesn't go. I sense not for long as the Dems begin to demand he address the problem that he created. Let's bring in Rich Lowry. Rich, first off, Zelensky showing up pretty dramatic. Of course, you don't want to announce it ahead of time. A lot of Republicans don't want to write any more checks to Ukraine. Are you one of them? No. I mean, I understand the, the, the sentiment. We have uh, out-of-control spending across the, the board, but I think this is a good good investment to check Russian aggression. You know, if I could um, um, you know, write it myself, would, would I get you know our allies to fund all the economic aid and just for us to do the, the weapons? Yes. I don't know whether that's plausible. Um, but, you know, our, our guys aren't fighting and dying in Ukraine. It's strategically important to us. They're willing to do the fighting, and we just need to pony up. And, yeah, the numbers are eye-popping, but I don't see a good alternative. Well, the U.S. will send $1.8 billion in military aid to Ukraine in a massive package. They're going to send a Patriot missile battery and precision-guided bombs for their jet fighters. 
uh, will get a billion dollars in weapons from the Pentagon stocks, another $800 million in funding through the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. That means ammo and things to that nature. Uh, so it's going to be about $45 billion in emergency assistance, uh, part of the $1.7 trillion. And I would, number one, be public in who's giving and who's not. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, who's not coming across? Yeah, look, you know, you're not, Germany's not sitting on a huge arsenal. I get it. But what yep. do they promise? They, they actually do have tanks, and Ukrainians need tanks. And why are we giving one Patriot missile battery? Why don't we just give enough mm-hmm. to protect the major cities? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the Germans are worthless. I, I would say that the one thing I agree with the critics on the right about is Zelensky is not going to win this, this war w- once and for all. There's going to be some sort of settlement. I mean, Putin, you know, he's not going to, Zelensky's not going to march to Mo- Moscow and topple Putin. So the, there's going to be some unsatisfactory arrangement at the end of it. So I don't think it's like a thought crime to to, to say, well, maybe uh, Russia gets Crimea, you know, and uh, otherwise uh, returns to the borders prior to the first Russian invasion or something like that. Because the war is draining. It's a huge economic and humanitarian cost. Now, we need to exhaust the Russians such that they're they're willing to consider some, some sort of um, deal. And unfortunately, we're not close to that point. But I do think diplomacy – Peace deal; those shouldn't be uh, considered, you know, thought crimes the, the way they are um, among some Ukraine hawks. Here's what Senator uh, John Kennedy said: uh, because you know, listen, Zelensky can speak, he can perform. I think he's going to be motivating today. Cut 19. I would be delighted if uh, President Zelensky came and visited us. I have been convinced for for some time that uh, President Putin is not acting alone that there is a partnership between and among Putin, uh, President Xi in China, and the Ayatollah in Iran. And their objective is to have Russia dominate uh, Central and Eastern Europe, to have the Ayatollah dominate the Middle East, and to have China dominate the Indo-Pacific while being able to roam free in Sub-Saharan Africa and South America. And that is a, a, a world that is not safe for democracy. So, there, no doubt about it, they have strengthened their evil ties uh, with Iran. And those, those kamikaze drones have yeah. uh, really plagued the infrastructure of Ukraine. But it's almost like getting into, the, getting into an infection. You could keep on putting a Band-Aid on it, or you just attack it. And the Ukrainians, to me are attacking our enemy and exposing mm-hmm. Russia. Yeah. So I, I don't know how formally to Senator Kennedy's comment, you know, the, the pie has been divided up. But these are three powers that hate the United States, that all have revanchist ambitions, all want to restore what they imagined, you know, as for, former glory, glory, especially imperial glory. And, um, you know, I, the the the, the Reason the many there are many reasons that Putin's policy did not actually serve Russia's interest in the, in the long term. One, they're becoming a junior partner to China, which is not going to work out uh, well for them in in the long term. They're not going to be an equal in that alliance. Uh, the the end of the day, uh, China is going to overall uh, Russia if if they get what what uh, what what they want. So th- this has just been a total strategic blind alley. Uh, for for for, for Russia, Russia, Russia's interests. So maximize the pain because this is going to be something that is going to be plaguing Eastern Europe for time to come unless Russia gets thoroughly cut down to size, which we never thought we'd have the ability to do. But we're watching Ukrainian do it. The Russians can't fight. They, they're not armed. They've been wasting all their money. People have been stealing it. 
Vladimir Putin no longer can be the little muscle man that he thinks he uh, thinks he yeah. was. He, he's been cut down on the world stage. So I just think we got to finish the job. This incremental yeah. is a way of torturing both sides. Yeah, and and the other thing that I think is is wrongheaded about wanting to cut the Ukrainians off. This has been a success. It's, it's not as though it's like the the Afghans, where we could never quite get the military to to, to stand up. Obviously, it couldn't stand up on its own. The Ukrainians have, have uh, had incredible success. Have they swept a victory? No, but it, it's been much better than anyone reasonably could have expected at the beginning of this year to then say, oh, you know, never mind, we're cutting you off now, would just be totally perverse. What's your take on what you've learned so far from the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter and the seven tranches that have been revealed uh, and the FBI's work inside that organization basically doing uh, much more hands-on than we ever thought. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's bizarre. I mean, if, if the FBI had said to the Washington Post in 1980, well, there are a bunch of Russian spies, Soviet spies around, which is true, and they want to get misinformation all over the place, which was true. So we're going to come in, we're going to meet with you all the time, we're going to review what you're running in your newspaper and have conversations about it. They would have said, no, get lost, you know, and, and Twitter didn't. And it, it's a really the star and dis, uh, disturbing symbiotic uh, relationship between the two. And you know, some of this stuff, you know, we knew it in broad outlines, but it's been helpful to get down in more granular detail. And this has just become a big proxy battle in the, the culture war. So I'm, I'm all in favor of uh, Elon Musk versus his enemies. I do wonder, though, at the end of the day, is it is it more important for Elon Musk to make better rockets or or to be you know running Twitter polls? I, I think it's it's making better rockets. So it's it's good to have it owned by him, hand it over to someone else's poll set, and, and focus on on some of your your I think more important businesses. And now now the investigation element to Facebook and Google are going to be much more precise because we've we've opened up one body mm-hmm. and we did an right. autopsy on that body and we knew what they were up to. And now we can say to Facebook, was the FBI calling you? three times a week. Were you mm-hmm. at the Aspen right. Institute breakdown of tabletop exercise on the laptop or other things? When exactly mm-hmm. did right. that happen? And listen, judging by how unhappy Twitter was that the FBI was all over them, maybe there's people at Google and Facebook that want to say how oppressive the FBI was. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, I had the Washington, Washington Post analogy I mentioned there, um, where you would have thought, like, t- Twitter would reflexively said, no, we're, we're, uh, we're a private entity, we're free speech people, get out of here. Also, like, you sign up to the FBI, you know, imagining you're in the next Elliot uh, Ness or something, and, and what, what you do is sit in front of a computer looking at Twitter all day. <laughs> that, yeah. That's also bizarre, too. Yeah, I mean, and there were, there were uh, 80,000 agents, and so many went over there to work. But there were not one of them dispelled any Trump rumor that was incorrect. Not one time did right, they take out anything that was not conservative that was pretending to be or anything yeah. that trolled the other direction. You would think they'd even play the game and point to yeah. something, but they didn't even play that game. So well, I wanna... this goes to the whole impetus of the, of the thing being the 2016 election, not wanting that to happen again, and the lie about the 2016 election that it was the, the product of, of Russian meddling, you know, and Russian bots on Twitter and all this ridiculousness, and, and the FBI, the FBI. And it's one thing, you know, to be uh, whoever that disinformation woman is at, at Brookings who sings a song and buy that. It's another to have an, an, an entire hugely important law enforcement agency buy into it, but they did. Uh, Rich, we're going to about to spend a $1.7 trillion omnibus package. People like uh, Rand Paul, Ron Johnson are upset. Uh, McCarthy came out and said 
Uh, we're not going to whip this. When I'm speaker, the bills will be dead on arrival. He said no Republican should vote for this. It's going to be 4,155 pages. So what's your reaction? Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just a horrible you, you had Katie uh, on at the, the top here, uh, a clip from her. She's absolutely right. This is no way to run a, a government, just, just throwing in all the stuff in what becomes a, a quote-unquote must-pass bill at the end of the year. You know, they have the Electoral Count Act in there. Let's have a debate about the Electoral Count Act and pass it as standalone legislation and everything else here. Have it disaggregated and have real debates on it. Instead, it's, this is the way it always happens. It's a terrible way to govern. You know, McConnell's looking at chaos in the House and it's just like, well, you know, we're, we're, we're going to take care of this now. I understand that sentiment, but it's also just bizarre to, to go ahead on a big spending bill prior, you know, weeks prior to your party having more power and leverage in, in Washington. So all you do is get a continuing resolution. Would there be a reason why the Democrats wouldn't sign off on that? Well, I might have, I might have lost him. Sorry, sorry, Brian. I, I yeah. lost for a second. Yeah, uh, Rich, is there a reason why a continuing resolution would have been a no a no go zone for Democrats? Um, I mean, just maybe because they thought they could just face down um, the Senate Republican leadership and and get this bigger bill instead. Yeah, I guess so. I just want you to I want you to hear Mitch McConnell's explanation. Cut twelve. So let's step back and say, what are the real needs of the country right now? They're in the defense part of our expenditures, making sure the Defense Department can deal with the major threats coming from Russia and China, providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. So admittedly, I'm pretty proud of the fact that with a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Democratic Senate, we were able to achieve, through this omnibus spending bill, essentially all of our priorities. So do you feel better? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the best part is good. There, there, there's no doubt. But all of our priorities are in this bill. I think that's a little, uh, <laughs> that might be a slight exaggeration, Brian. So listen to this line. The bill allocates $1.56 billion in Customs and Border Patrol for border management, $339 billion for ICE, Non-detention border requirements. Funds are prohibited from being used to acquire, maintain, or extend the border security wall technology and capabilities. So see, this is, this is punitive. They're trying to stop mm-hmm. a wall and just con- right. fund the increase in population of illegal yeah. immigrants. Yeah. No, Why would exactly. Republicans it- sign off on that? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's bad. And the, the and the more resources to various border agencies, it's it's great. But it's, they're not being used to, to exclude people. Basically, they're being used to process people and send them into the the country. The U.S. government uh, completes the final leg of what smugglers are doing. As the smugglers get them over the border, and then we give them the ticket to Boston or whatever it is. So it it we could spend you know three trillion on. Uh, the, uh, our border patrol agencies, and still the same thing would be happening because it's the policy um, and the motive that that underlies it. That's the problem. It's not a, not so much a lack of resources. Go get them, uh, Rich. Have a great holiday. Appreciate you joining right, us, you Rich Lauer, National Review. Absolutely. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back, take some calls. Welcome Martha in uh, McCallum. You know her show starts at three. Then uh, we'll do a more to know. Busy hour. I believe we can get through it. Learning something new every day. 
on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Martha McCallum's in studio for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to have really big segments after this. But, uh, Martha, a lot going on like today. Like this isn't a big enough segment? It's only like three minutes. Three and a half minutes. <laughs> but, I mean, a lot going on. Did you expect to hear that Zelensky was in town? He's going to be speaking I, I tonight? I think it's very interesting timing. I mean, obviously, they're trying to push through this enormous omnibus bill. And I have a lot of issues with how this happens every single time. You know, uh, it always goes down to the wire. It's always some ridiculously long document that no one can read. This isn't the way you should run a government. It, uh, it needs to be a lot more thoughtful than this. There needs to be more than three or four people involved in printing this thing out. And there's so much pork in it. Uh, there, there's $65 million that goes to different funds to protect salmon. I like salmon, but I mean, isn't it time we went through these things? I mean, I miss Tom Coburn. Nobody, nobody talks about the waste in American government the way that we should. But so all of that as a backdrop. Um, yes. Yeah, so this is the moment when Zelensky is coming to the White House and um, he will be speaking before a joint session of Congress tonight about this latest $44 billion that's being added to the Supportive of the Ukraine military. And, and there's pushback because a lot of Republicans in particular don't want to do this anymore. They don't see the bigger picture. I'm full for accountability. If we can get it, even if it gets people on the ground, they're going to go visit in Ukraine these various cities to make sure, you know, the weapons getting to the front line. Make sure political divisions aren't stopping certain units from getting or cities from being protected. But I want enough. If you're going to give Patriot missiles, make sure there's enough of the weapons pro of the of the weapon system to cover more than just a handful of cities. If you're going to give them high Mars, you should give it to them right away. And if you're going to give them now, you're going to give them uh, laser guided bombs for their fighter jets. What about fighter jets? I thought even you know, are we going to get them fighter jets? Well, we've we been ve- doing this long dance between offensive and defensive weaponry and. Anything that looks like we're provoking the situation. Look, it's pretty clear what's going on. We're the number one supporter of the Ukraine military. We don't officially have boots on the ground in the country, but it's pretty clear that we're in it uh, to help them win it. But my question is, and if I were asking Vladimir uh, Volodymyr Zelensky uh, questions about this, I would talk to him about what lines he wants to go back to because they want to push all the way back to, to the original lines through it's- Crimea. And that is not negotiable with Putin. Back in a moment. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think this will be a dramatic visit. It's rare to have somebody uh, in the middle of a war leave his country to explain to the United States and the world just what he's fighting for. And I think he'll be passionate in explaining that. I think the significance of the trip is that uh, politically it should really lock in bipartisan support for continued U.S. military assistance to Ukraine. It should, I think, galvanize our NATO allies to work closely with the U.S. through what will be a difficult winter. Most of all, this is just a defiant gesture towards Russia, which is pounding Ukraine every day, trying to to weaken the country's infrastructure, trying to break the will of its people, and to have... uh, their president Zelensky received in Washington, celebrated as as the person who embodies the aspirations, I think, of the West. 
And that is Dave Ignatius of the Washington Post. Uh, he a great foreign policy context. Martha McCallum's here. Martha, you know it's going to be interesting before the address? The president's going to host a joint press conference with Zelensky. I mean, that's going to be harder than doing sit, doing a sit-down with Drew Barrymore. Does he know that? <laughs> that he's going to have to maybe get a tougher questions? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting what we watch today. We expect it will happen around the time of the story this afternoon, maybe a little bit later than that. But we'll be getting everybody ready for this. You know, I'm struck by David Ignatius's words about how rare it is for someone to leave a, an embattled country in the middle of war. And it makes me think about Winston Churchill because— during uh, the beginning of World War II, when Winston Churchill was on the phone all the time with FDR asking for help, asking for us to enter uh, the war uh, to help him in Europe and to keep the Nazis out of Great Britain, uh, Churchill just said, you know what, I'm coming. I'm coming now. I'm coming for Christmas. I'm staying at your house. I'm not bringing <laughs> in my family. And he moved in for three weeks. And every single night they talked. They you know, had scotch and dinner and drinks and by the end of it, there was a commitment for the Lend-Lease program. So it was a very, very important trip. The, all the lights were off. In, uh, Christmas lights were sort of backed off that year because of the war, even here in the United States. But they turned on the DC the Christmas lights at, at the White House that night and went out and gave a Christmas message to people. So I think it's a very historic visit. And, you know, I, I think what Ignatius says about the way Putin views this is a really important element of this as well, because it's very clear whose side we're on. It's very clear that we support Ukraine in this effort and that, you know, this is Vladimir Putin's war. He, he started it. He invaded their country. Right. And uh, we have to stand on the side of that. I think, you know, how we do it and, and what the terms are is, is something that needs to be debated and should be debated. I just would stop this incrementalism. Stop the – listen, you're going to give him high marks, give him high marks. You're going to give him attack ems, which go a little bit further. I think it's time to do that because they figured out how far the high marks are going. They back up their troops to a certain area. So do it. Just give them what they need to be successful and replenish it. Make sure it's be, we're being accountable. But, of course, we're also studying how all this stuff is happening in battle. We're studying what the Russians are doing. Martha, I don't think I have to tell you they moved into Syria, they stayed. They moved into Georgia, they stayed. They moved into Crimea, they, Crimea, they kept it. They told to take Ukraine, they get stopped. Does anybody think that if they were able to take Ukraine easily, they wouldn't have taken the Baltic states Absolutely. and infiltrated all these elections? Absolutely. Re- so we're saving a generation a fight in Europe. Uh, absolutely. And as Zelensky said in the very beginning, you know, we are your bulwark to protect NATO if, you know, they have to come through us. And if they fail here, it will be much more difficult for them to continue. Of course, so many questions have been raised about the capability of Russia, you know, whether or not they would have ever been able to do any of that, I think, is a huge question mark right now. I think we we saw the same thing after the Cold War, that a lot of their stuff was rusty and, and not as fearful as you know we might have thought once we got a better look at what they were actually threatening us with so i just think you know in terms of of the lines and where it would go back to we have committed to support this this effort um but there's no sort of negotiation around this and uh putin has said that crimea is not negotiable Zelensky says crimea is not negotiable so i'm just asking at how many years you know how much cost right. how long What will this look like over time? Because these are the questions we don't ask, and then we see ourselves in something for for 20, 30 years. Right. right. If they get to the point where Crimea, where they're actually in shouting distance of Crimea, I think peace talks could ensue, and I think both sides would probably realize that. They blew up the bridge in Crimea. And they repaired it. Yeah. 
Which was a great message. I mean, it was a great. Absolutely. We know, we know where we are. Absolutely. And by the way, did you see that story in the New York Times? I read it on Sunday. I was on a plane. So extensive. Do you know that 60% of Russian cruise missiles missed their mark? Do you know that even, you know, the, uh, the communications guy, Preskov, Brad Preskov, he did not know the invasion was taking place until the day it was actually taking place. He did not think it was happening. Almost everybody on the line. A lot did of not the military think were... didn't think it was happening either. They were told they were going to training exercises, and they're angry. And you know, many of them have bailed out. Uh, we saw what they had to do. They've gotten people out of prisons to fortify their military. They're in rough shape. And the um, Wagner Group is the one absolutely, fighting. Absolutely, absolutely. Who are mercenaries? Yeah. So they hire an outside group, and they are, they are threatening the Russians in case they try to run, they'll be shot. Yeah. And they forgot to bring food and gas for the tanks. This is the Keystone Cops. Look, this kind of economy, you know, which is basic, they have basically one, it's a gas station, right? They have one commodity in Russia. They are, their economy is not strong. Uh, they love what a tough talker Putin is. And I think he gives people, many people in Russia, a lot of pride. Um but this effort is, is – is, they're over their skis. It's been more difficult than they anticipated, and I think um, – I don't think that they can hang in there forever. It and, doesn't know, appear that way at all. I, I just want to hear what John Meacham said on another channel. Cut 22. Zelensky is very much acting in the Churchillian tradition. Churchill didn't come to the United States during World War II until December 1941, after both Pearl Harbor and uh, Hitler's declaration of war on the United States. It was at that point that FDR said to him, we're all in the same boat now. And it was a boat that, like Zelensky, Churchill had been in largely alone since the spring of 1940. And we had been fighting this battle that we're fighting again. And I think this is the thing to think about today and tomorrow as, as people watch these events. This is one of our oldest and most difficult battles in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's between engagement in the world and isolationism. Uh, the false sense that because of our the gift of geography of the United States of America, that somehow we are, to paraphrase Churchill, not involved in the agonies and the triumphs of the old world. But we are. Um, what do you think? I think there's a lot, of, a lot of truth to that. I think you have to look at this as part of a piece of what's going on in China and President Xi and his aggression, what's going on in Iran uh, as well. So these are part, these are the forces and the enemies that we face on a global stage in terms of preserving democracy and preserving a way of life. I think Zelensky stands for that 100%. Um, I, I just think that we need to be very wise about our engagement and, uh, and make sure that we get it right. Make sure that we have terms with Zelensky that we both understand uh, in terms of the way that this needs to play out. You know, there's all this talk about, well, we don't want to force him to negotiate, you know, nothing with Ukraine, nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. But this is a moment, he's coming to the White House, they need to have a very honest discussion about what this looks like. Evidently, they're not going to get anything near he wants, and Joe, Joe Biden got mad at him a month ago. He's like, just got you uh, billions of dollars and you want more. Well, if you're Zelensky, yeah, you want more. He's right. But well, He you knows to- this is the place to come. Nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is holding up the kind of end of the bargain that we are. So don't you think the one thing I miss about Trump is calling out our allies? 
Absolutely. I mean, what, what, do we know? Have we heard anything about Germany? No, there, we, there's a little bit of, you know, sort of stepping very lightly around Putin, not wanting to be seen as aggressive or provocative in this. I think you have to say, you know, call it like it is. I mean, we are supporting the Ukraine effort and we're giving the military backing. We're not putting boots on the ground. That's where we stand. And, you know, that we're going to wear them down until his until he's done, until he can't keep that effort going anymore. Um, of course, he has nuclear capabilities as well so it's a dangerous game of course you have to respect it it's we're talking about world civilization i get it but do you know that if he even uses tactical nuke you got every nato country will blow him off the face of the earth and kill him first i i think it's uh, it's what do you think it's wishful thinking that vladimir putin is beginning to lose some of his power and prestige and maybe his his uh his position is in jeopardy you see these headlines sometimes you know, I do. And then I talk to people from the region who, um, you know, say that he has a ton of support and that he is that figure for them who is talking big and acting big on the world stage. He wants Ukraine back. He believes Ukraine is part of Russia. There are people in Russia who believe that Ukraine is part of Russia um, and that, uh, you know, I mean, if you really look at it from a Ukrainian perspective, um, they're already fighting on Russian territory. You know, when they're when they're fighting in in Luhansk and Donetsk and in Crimea, they're they already have that territory. So it's um, so they are dropping um, weaponry into that area and fighting Russians in an area that the Russians believe is Russia. So when it comes to this question of, you know, offensive weapons and crossing the lines, um, I, I think you have to be, you know, I, I'd like to see some clarity come out of this conversation. About right. what we expect for what we're sending. And if he wants to send a message when he meets today, because it's no problem for, for the French president to rip us. He said, yo, you, you did, this, you did this, uh, this, this inflation reduction package, which we know is a joke. Yeah. But you basically made it harder for us to deal in Europe. It, you cut us out. You basically gave subsidies. In right. order. So he has no problem criticizing us on the subsidy issue. Obviously, the president ham-handed mm-hmm. did not know we undercut him. He lost billions right. of dollars. How great would it be today to say – Germany has promised uh, three dozen tanks they have not delivered. So yeah, absolutely. They have delivered. Call them out. And when it comes out aid, we understand France doesn't have the biggest uh, military. But absolutely. With, they haven't done that. And I think it's time for allies to step up. And Because I think, it does. I mean, it matters more to them than it does to us, at least in the short term. Absolutely. Right? And so we, we need to. I think there need to be negotiations and deals done with with Europe to say, look, we're either we're either all in this or we're not. And it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating because I see America over and over again you know, sort of carrying the weight of these situations. And it, it's people it are tired of it. Yeah, people it are tired me. of it. And and the way we left Afghanistan. And we'll talk about that. When we come back, we're going to find out if Martha needs to know more. We know one thing about her show. She will have Terry Hanready on because of the passing of Franco Harris yes. uh, suddenly at the age of 72. Days before he's about to get his I know. number retired. As Terry Hanready said to me this morning, this was supposed to be Franco's weekend. Right. He was the backup quarterback to Terry Bradshaw. I went to Notre Dame. That's correct. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. 
Yeah, how about that? Good idea, Martha McCallum, to go to Unplugged. So the big Absolutely. tech will be snooping on the McCallum yeah. fortune. And they're listening to every single word you say and then sending you advertising about it. Right. I, mean, I swear, sometimes I think I just thought something. Right. And I see an ad pop up. Literally, doesn't that happen to you? It does. I, I say, I don't remember saying anything about that. <laughs> inside our heads. Or, yeah, maybe crosstalk. Let's find, okay, so let's start here. Jenna Bush Hager's daughter appears on Today. Cool boy. And reveals her mom never wears underwear. Oh, boy. Margaret Mia Laura live on the air on Tuesday with Hoda and, uh, this is with Hoda and Jenna. Yeah, she's a handful. I didn't right. see this, um, but I'm looking at it. And, uh, yeah, she, she basically said that her mom laughed so hard that she peed her, her pajamas, and then she had to go change her pajamas. Then she added the other detail. Go ahead. Let's listen. You know, you know when I love her the most, Mia? What? When she's laughing so hard that she can't catch her breath. Do you know that kind when she does that? Yeah, one time she was laughing in our living room and she peed her pants. <laughs> <laughs> and you changed your pajamas. <laughs> you did. Thank you, yeah. Mila. Thank you so much. I love her so much, but it's time for her to go because if she's already dropped one truth bomb. <laughs> no, I like having Who knows here. what's coming here? I think Hoda's trying to get the truth bombs out, but no more. Is that yes. the last one? <laughs> Nope. Okay, just no, give no, me no. one little one. Just one tiny one. She never wears underwear. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <Okay>. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's always exciting when you bring kids to work day, right? Yeah, I guess oh, it, boy. she's seven years old. Seven or nine. I thought it said she oh, was. Oh, she's nine? It says the adorable nine-year-old knows many stories about her mom. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see how that goes over on the nice, naughty so she Santa has three list. Kids. I guess she has Poppy Louise. Yeah. And then she has Harry, uh, Henry. Yes. Poppy Louise is seven. Hal is three. And Mila is the oldest at nine. All right. Next, you go. Okay, so these couples are outraged in New Jersey because the wedding venue at the Madison Hotel, where I went for a graduation dinner uh, with one of my kids, they're changing the colors from gold and a white palette to now it's going to be sort of dark and woody with a, a dark blue carpet. And they're, the couples are outraged that the venue changed the colors. Would you be outraged if this happened to you? No. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. Not, not, I wouldn't even <gasps> I recognize wouldn't either. it. I mean, when I got married, I would have been like, oh, okay, it's a different color. Yeah. Now, people are so wedding crazy now. I know. One of my theories is that people are engaged for way too long, so it makes them focus on all of these things, and it drives them to a place where, like, they're, like, insane over these weddings. It's so, unbelievable. In fact, I have a wedding on Friday because it just it's hard getting the right date, so they, they were getting married on the 23rd, which is pretty... Pretty close to Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, but I would say this. I think a lot of people go, yeah, it's been two years, we're engaged, we're living together. Maybe I should just save the money. Do you think that Do a lot of people so? backed out? I'm not I, seeing that, but I, you know what? I mean, it seems to me that we've sort of live in like a wedding crazy focused society right now, but I think they should probably take the money and have a nice honeymoon. Next, Franco Harris has passed away at the age of 72 days after before having his number 32 retired by the Pittsburgh Steelers and just days before celebrating the 50 years since the Immaculate Reception uh, that had them beat the Raiders in a, the most dramatic finish maybe ever. Yeah, so you said that you're going to be discussing this today. Yes, Terry Hanratty is going to come on and talk to us. Uh, He was, as you said, the backup quarterback to Terry Bradshaw and a close friend. I uh, communicated with Terry this morning, and he said that he he was just so sad, and he said this was supposed to be Franco's weekend. Right. Uh, And they were all looking forward to it. It's tragic, and we don't know what happened. He's only 72. 
Um, but an incredible, incredible player. And did you guys, did you, I saw you this morning. Did you play the Immaculate Reception? Yeah, we did yeah. play it. We didn't play a full sound, but do you want to hear it? Yeah. Last chance for the Steelers. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off. Draco Harris has it. And he's over. Draco Harris grabbed the ball on a deflection. Five seconds to go. He grabbed it with five seconds to go and scored. Let's watch one this again. One million to one odds on this one. Ricochet out there off of Jack Tatum and into the man of the year, Franco Harris's hands. Here's wow. a miracle of all miracles. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. And that was Gowdy, Kirk Gowdy on that. Yeah. Uh, next, Disney stock on its way to the worst year since 1974. Despite Avatar and the sequel, it's disappointing. No one's going to see it. I don't know. I thought it was going to be big. Avatar's less than stellar star is just the latest setback for Disney, which has declined 44.6% this year, putting them on pace for their biggest annual percentage drop since 74. Word is they got it, they would, it's going to be worth this get rid of ABC and ESPN. Wow. 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 I mean, they have to do something. They brought Bob Iger back. Um, he's going to be looking at all the options that he has uh, to fix this company. But Disney was one of the greatest brands in American history. And, you know, I love, you know, you think of the old huge hits of Mary Poppins and Peter Pan. And when my kids were little, Beauty and the Beast. And, and it, they sort of went off the rails. And they're not creating these sort of amazing artistic productions anymore that make every single family in America want to see them. And a lot of it, I think, is, you know, a result of some of the wokeism that we've talked about a lot um, that sort of just watered down the brand in many ways, I think. I think you're right, Martha. I went there at the theme park about a year ago. Everything was everything was broken. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people well, COVID just... COVID did a number on pretty much every resort and hotel across America. Thanks, Martha. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.